when Jerry Wilson returned to First Baptist Church, he came with one passion, and that was to build a Great Commission Sunday School. Both he and I believe the best and most lasting way to build a great church is through the Sunday School program. There are three basic ingredients, as I see it, to accomplish that. First of all, there has to be God-called leaders. The Bible says in Hebrews 5.4, No one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God. Moses effectively led the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage because he was called by God to that task. Now, you recall, of course, that he did not want to do that. In fact, he said, why should Pharaoh listen to me? And he said, God, Aaron is really a better speaker than I am. I'm not a good speaker. And so Moses did not want to do what God called him to do, but God nevertheless had called Moses. So there was that sense of strength in his life because he was called by God. Jeremiah was called by God to be a prophet. He too resisted the call. But the Bible says that before he was even born, that God had called him to be a prophet. Paul effectively was called by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But in all those cases, there was a sense of call on their lives. And if one is going to be an effective leader within the Sunday school organization, there has to be a sense of call. That I'm not doing this because I have been recruited to the task but I am responding to the call of God. You see, too often we recruit people into positions of leadership. And then when it gets a little tough, they, we have to re-recruit them because they are no longer there. But if one is called by God, then there is a sense that I'm doing what I'm doing because I have been called by God and I have an obligation to Him. So to be effective, there must be a call from God. Secondly, there must be properly trained leaders. If we ask you to do something and do not properly train you, then any failure is our fault. Jimmy Allen used to say, when we fail to train our people, we cripple them and then we criticize them for limping. And that's oftentimes true. So if we are going to be effective, we must sense a call from God that God has called me to this, that I am responding to his call and that I am properly trained. And then thirdly, that there is regular planning. Every department ought to have regular planning meetings. I don't think any of us would expect um, the Gamecocks to show up on Saturday without any plans for the game. Who wants to run the ball today? Who would like to be quarterback? Anybody got any plays that we can use? But see, there is all this planning that goes on before the game, and the same thing is true within the Sunday school class if it is going to be effective. There has to be regular planning. So today we're going to look at four men, and perhaps they will teach us something. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. And when Jesus had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. 
And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Arise and take up your pallet and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, take up your pallet and go home. And he rose and immediately took up the pallet and went out in the sight of all, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. I want to share with you today three thoughts as we look at these men and as we talk about building a Great Commission Sunday School. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we focus on others. Now, look at verse number 3. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. So as we look at these four men, I want you to see that they focused on the need of their friend. And his situation was helpless. The Bible says that he was a paralytic, which means that he was paralyzed. One commentator said that possibly it was the result of a stroke. Now, we don't know. We can speculate. We have no idea why the man was paralyzed. But we do know this. He could not come to Jesus on his own. He was helpless to get there on his own. He had to have someone help him get there. Not only was he helpless, but he also was hopeless. Folks, I was thinking about being hopeless, and I suppose that is the most depressing state in which one can enter. I remember when I was in college, I had a professor who said, as long as there is light at the end of the tunnel, you'll be all right, no matter how dim it might be. But if there is no light, if there is a sense of hopelessness, then there is despair, and you won't be all right. Orison Martin wrote, There is no medicine like hope, no incentive so great and no tonic so powerful as expectation of something better tomorrow. You see, hope is our medicine, but hopelessness is our disease. And as I look at this man, not only was he helpless to come to Christ, but he was also in a sense hopeless because he was never going to get better. He was doomed to this kind of life. He was hopeless. You remember the story in John chapter 5 about the man at the pool of Bethesda? And periodically an angel would come down and stir the waters, and the first person who was in the pool was healed. Jesus came by one day. There was a man there. He had been there for 38 years. And Jesus said to him, Do you want to get well? And the man said, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the pool is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. 
He said, Jesus, my situation is hopeless. I've been here for 38 years. I want to get in the pool. I want to be made well. But someone else always gets there first. And he was in a state of hopelessness until Jesus healed him. My friend, do you understand that you live in the midst of people who are hopeless? Do you understand that? That there are people in your family, there are people in your neighborhood, there are people at your place at work who are living lives that are hopeless. And we have been given the assignment and the ministry of hope. That's what we are as the church. We have been given the ministry of hope. And we give people hope concerning forgiveness of sin. That they can be forgiven, that they can become a child of God. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is our ministry. We give people hope that they can be forgiven of their sin regardless as to what their sin is. We give them hope concerning life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Folks, there are so many people around us who are despairing in their lives and you and I have the message of hope that they can have life. We give them a message concerning their family of hope, regardless as to what your child is doing, regardless as to what this family member is doing. You can have hope in Jesus because he can change things. That is the message we have to proclaim. We give hope for eternity. Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. The world needs the hope that comes from Jesus. But who gives it to them? Those who believe it. You'll notice there in verse number 5, and Jesus seeing their faith. You see, these men brought their friend to Jesus because they believed that Jesus could make a difference in his life. Had they not had that kind of faith, they would never have made the effort to bring their friend to Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, until you believe that Jesus can change people's lives, you will never introduce someone to Jesus. Students, unless you believe that Jesus can make a difference in the lives of your friends, you'll never share Jesus with them. You will never share Jesus with members of your family who are lost until you believe that Jesus can make a difference in their life. They were men of faith. They were men of compassion. They cared enough to inconvenience themselves that they might bring their friend to Jesus. Paul was like that. He cared enough about people. He had compassion enough for people that he shared Jesus with them. The Bible says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I don't know how that verse of Scripture strikes you, but it always convicts me. Paul said, I have such a passion to see my people, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, come to know Jesus, that I would be willing to give up my place in heaven if by doing so they came to know Jesus. Now that is compassion. And that is the characteristic of a great commission Sunday school. 
that we care about people who do not know Christ. That was these men. They cared about their friend enough to inconvenience himself to bring him to Christ. Not only that, they were cooperative in verse number 3. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. These men got together. One of them picked up one side of the, of the pallet and someone else the back side and someone else the front side and someone else the back side. But they cooperated to bring their friend to Jesus. Folks, we are going to have to become more cooperative if we're going to make an impact for Christ. And far too often within the church, we divide over minor doctrinal issues while we allow the world to go to hell and say absolutely nothing. We're going to have to cooperate more. We're going to have to join hands with people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that He is the Son of God, that He is the only way of salvation. We have to join hands and cooperate with others if we're going to make an impact for Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. You see, we work together. Someone witnesses, someone visits, someone invites. But we work together to reach people for Christ. Not only that, but they were creative. Look at verse number 4. Being unable to get, uh, him, to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9:22, I become all things to all men that I may by all means save some. I enjoy being around people who are creative, who are willing to color outside the box. And I look at these four guys trying to get their friend to Jesus. Couldn't get him there, so they said, let's take him up on the roof and remove the roof and let him down. I'm not sure that would happen in a Baptist church. Because we're not going to remove any roofs until we know who's going to pay for it. Can you imagine a committee getting together and saying, you know, why don't we just take the roof off and let this guy down? Ain't no way we're going to do that. Somebody's got to pay for that roof. But these men were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to Christ. A creative ministry. When Linda and I, a few years ago, were in Alaska, we visited with the churches in Alaska. And one of the ministries they did that was intriguing to me was a roadkill ministry. And when they heard about a moose or something that had been run over, they would go out and get the moose, take it to the refrigerator, and then that became something that they would use to minister to people who were hungry. Say, well, I don't want any roadkill. Well, that's fine. Some people out there did. It was a good ministry. You see, folks, we have to be creative to reach people. We have to be willing to look at things a little bit differently if we're going to reach people for Christ. Another characteristic of these men is that they work. They carried him. They tore off the roof. They work. Are you willing to work to reach people for Christ? Are you willing to work to build your Sunday school class? There was a time in my ministry that I tried to make everything convenient. Well, all right, let's see if we can get them down there one night during the week, and that's all. And maybe if we, you know, make this a little bit less time and so forth. And I tried to make it convenient. And then I reached a conviction. We will never reach our world through convenience. It's through commitment. We'll not do it with convenience. 
It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost me something. It's going to cost our time. It's going to cost our effort. We can't do it through convenience. So a Great Commission Sunday School focuses on others, not about me. It's about those who don't know Christ. Secondly, they focused on Jesus. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples. And then he said, and I am with you always. Now, why did he say that? Well, because he knew it was going to be difficult. Go into all the world and make disciples. Remember this, I am always with you because it isn't going to be easy. There are always obstacles. And there were obstacles in this story. First of all, there was the crowd in verse number 4, and being unable to get to him because of the crowd. You see, there was a crowd that had gathered around Jesus, and that made it difficult for them to be able to bring their friend to Christ because of the crowd. Many times it is the crowd that keeps people from Christ. You remember the story, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but he was a little bit of short guy, and he couldn't see over the crowd. That was the reason that he climbed up in the sycamore tree, because he couldn't see Jesus otherwise. You remember the story of the woman who had the issue of blood and she wanted to come to Jesus, but she couldn't get to him because of the crowd, and so she had to make her way through the crowd to get to Jesus because it was separating her from Christ. I believe that there are some of you who desperately want to know Jesus as Savior, but because of the crowd, you have a real struggle this morning. I would like to become a Christian. I'd like to know Christ. I would like to experience His forgiveness. But, you know, all these people are here. And that is the thing that Satan will speak to you about, to keep you from Christ. Sometimes it's peers that keep us from Jesus. That was true with Bartimaeus. When Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting outside the city of Jericho and Jesus came by and Bartimaeus had heard about Jesus, he began crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And those around him said, be quiet. Don't call attention to yourself. Sit there, be quiet. But the Bible says that he cried out all the more, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Folks, there are some of you, and God will speak to your heart about becoming a believer, but because of peers, you're tempted not to. I understand that. When God called me to preach, the greatest struggle I had was what would my friends at work think? I had not always lived uh, in a way that would suggest that I was supposed to be a preacher. And when God was dealing in my life, the big struggle I had was, what will people think? What will my friends think? And sometimes it's peers that keep us from Christ. Sometimes it's religion. In verse number 6, but there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Now, the, the paralytic couldn't get in, but the Bible says the scribes were there. The religious people were already there. You see, they had gotten there early, got good seats. Now, they were not there to worship. They were there to criticize. So they got there early to get good seats that they could criticize what was happening, and they criticized the message of Jesus. You'll notice in verse number 7, why does this man speak that way? The message of Jesus was under attack. Why does he speak this way? Criticize the message. Bob McAllister, one of our members, I don't know where he is today, probably home in bed, but at any rate... He recently presented a a paper at Oxford University, and he was telling me about his experience there. And he said, you know, even my non-Christian friends 
value or believe in the Judeo-Christian ethic. He said, but not over here. He said, they reject the deity of Christ and they laugh at the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, the message of Jesus Christ being the Son of God is under attack. It is criticized, and it was criticized then. They criticized the message. They criticized the method in verse number 7. He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they didn't like the message that he was proclaiming. They didn't like the method that he was using. Dwight L. Moody, an evangelist of some years ago, was confronted by a man who told him once that I, I don't, because he gave an invitation, he said, I don't, like your, I don't like your method. He said, I don't like the invitation that you give. And Mr. Moody said, well, I don't particularly like it either. He said, what method do you use? And the guy said, well, I don't have a method. And Moody said, well, I like my method better than yours. But there are always those people, and it especially comes from the religious, especially from the church. That they criticize the message and then they criticize the method. Something else that keeps people from Christ sometimes is reason. In verse 6, some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Sometimes it is reason that keeps us from Jesus. Let me be just candid with you. It doesn't make any sense that Jesus could die 2,000 years ago and I could be saved as a result of that. It doesn't make any sense that one man can die so that I can live. That he can die paying for my sins, and my sins are forgiven because of what he did. And yet that is exactly what the Bible teaches. But it doesn't make any sense. So Jesus knew that there would be obstacles, and so that's the reason that we focus on him, because he's greater than the obstacles. What did Jesus do? He just continued doing what he was doing. He ignored the critics and healed the man. But he ignored them. Billy Graham said, I make it a policy never to answer critics, but to go on in the way I know is God's will. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what we have to do. Understand that if we take seriously, if we get passionate about Jesus, and we say that he is the only way of salvation, because that's what the Scripture says, and we begin to tell people about Christ, there is going to be criticism. That's okay. Just go on and do it anyway. Don't spend all your time. I told you this story before. It just came to my mind. In my first little church that I was pastoring, there was a, a deacon, because we were having some people criticize some things that we were doing and so forth. People were getting saved, but some people were criticizing. I was talking to one of the deacons, and he told me the little story. He said, Wendell, when I was a little boy, he said, my dad would send me to the grocery store to get some milk. And he said, I'd get sidetracked, you know, dogs would come out, and I'd throw rocks at them and so forth. And he said, and I'd get sidetracked, and I'd forget about the milk. He said, my dad told me one time, said, son, you'll never get to town if you stop to throw rocks at all the barking dogs. That's true. You'll never get to town if you stop to throw rocks at all the barking dogs. Just keep on telling people about Jesus. That's what we have been called to do. Thirdly, and quickly, we focus on the harvest. So we look at others, focus on others. We look to Jesus, who's greater than the obstacles, and then we look at the harvest. And these four friends brought their friend to Jesus, and his life was changed. In verse number 11, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. Now, that would have been a cruel thing to say, except it came from the lips of Jesus. And then he said, rise. Rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And then in verse number 12, he gave him the power. He 
obeyed Jesus, and he was cured, the Bible says, and the word rise that is used there is in the imperative, which means to start walking and keep on walking. Take up your bed and go home. You can be used to change people's lives. We have been sent. The Great Commission says, go into all the world, make disciples. The, 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 the message from the empty tomb was, come see and go tell. You come and see and then you go and tell. People will be saved if we will go because the Word of God will not return void, according to Scripture. The Ethiopian eunuch was saved when Philip went to share with him. Lives will be changed if you are willing to be used of God to share the gospel. And God will be glorified. Look at verse number 12b. So that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Did you know that changed lives brings glory to God? And the Bible says the people were amazed. People are amazed when they see God's work. That's probably the reason there's not much amazement today. They see my work, or they see your work, but they don't see God's work. Well, friend, God's work is amazing. People are amazed when God heals. The Bible says in Matthew 12, 22, Then there was brought to him a demon-possessed man who was blind and dumb, and he healed him so that the dumb man spoke and saw, and all the multitudes were amazed. Jim, I think that's what we're going to see in our church as a result of the deacon ministry. When God heals people, people are amazed. Amazed at what God does. When they hear the teaching that God loves them, that God forgives a sin, they are amazed. When they see His power demonstrated, people are amazed. The Bible says the people were amazed and God was glorified because only God can change lives. And then did you notice that it says, we have never seen anything like that. When I was thinking about that this past week, I thought, you know... If I were a part of the world and I looked at the church, what would I have seen? Well, I'd have seen some cheap tricks and I'd seen some bickering. I'd seen some pettiness. But when people see the move of God, they say, we've never seen anything like this. That's my prayer at First Baptist. When people look at this church, they say, I've never seen anything like that because they see God. When they look at you, they see the Lord, a reflection of the Lord. Let me conclude very quickly. How can we have a Great Commission Sunday School? Number one, focus on others. Now, listen very carefully, and I'm finished here. For one year, our church here begins in September. For one year... I'm asking you to forget about yourself and focus on others. Forget about what I like, what I don't like, and focus on others for one year. I believe that if we do that, that we'll become so pleased, so excited, that it'll become a way of life for us. Focus on others. Number two, focus on Jesus for one year. Not any of this, we can't do it because we don't have the money. We can't do it because of this or that. But we simply ask the question, Jesus, what do you want us to do?
because he's greater than any challenge we face. For one year, focus on others. For one year, focus on Jesus. Jesus, what do you want us to do? Number three, focus on the harvest. I believe that during this one year, we can see our attendance increase by 10%, that we can see over 100 people come to know Jesus and be baptized, and our lives can be a reflection of Him. If we'll focus on others, focus on Jesus, and commit ourselves for one year, that's what I'm asking you to do. Will you do that? I'm not asking you to respond right now because I want it to be between you and God. Will you do that? One year. Focus on others. Focus on Jesus. And you'll be surprised what God will do in your life and in my life. Our Father, we come to a challenge today that I pray each one of us will seriously consider. Lord, it's so contrary to our nature because we're mostly concerned about what I want, what I like. But Father, I pray that we might see others who need you and that we'll give our lives to sharing the good news with them, giving them a message of hope. Father, I pray even today that there are, there are some who need to come to know Christ as Savior, some who need to join this church. But they're intimidated by the crowd, and I pray that you'll give them a sense of courage. And Lord, today that they simply will be obedient to you. Bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. It's a time of invitation. If you're here without Christ today, would you come and give yourself to him? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you to be a part. Would you come today? Stand with me, please, as the choir sings. You come, and I'll greet you as you do.